Bibliographic note of poems and songs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sylvester Land. Poems and songs by Henry Kendall. Bibliographic note. Henry Kendall was the first Australian poet to draw his inspiration from the life, scenery, and traditions of the country. In the beginnings of Australian poetry, the names of two other men stand with his, Adam Lindsay Gordon, of English parentage and education, and Charles Harper, born in Australia a generation earlier than Kendall. Harper's work, though lacking vitality, shows fitful gleams of poetic fire suggestive of greater achievement had the circumstances of his life been more favorable. Kendall, whose lot was scarcely more fortunate, is a true singer. His songs remain, and are likely long to remain, attractive to poetry lovers. The poet's grandfather, Thomas Kendall, a Lincolnshire schoolmaster, met the Reverend Samuel Marston when the latter was in England, seeking assistance for his projected missionary work in New Zealand. Kendall offered his services to the Church Missionary Society of London and came out to Sydney in 1809. Five years later, he was sent to the Bay of Islands as a lay missionary, holding also the first magistrate's commission issued for New Zealand. He soon made friends with the Maoris and learned their language well enough to compile a primer in Pigeon Maori, a Karo no New Zealand, or The New Zealander's First Book, which George Howe printed for Marston at Sydney in 1815. In 1820, Thomas Kendall went to England with some Maori chiefs, and while there helped Professor Lee of Cambridge to fix the Maori language. The outcome of their work being Lee and Kendall's Grammar and Vocabulary of the Language of New Zealand, published in the same year. Returning to New Zealand, Kendall, in 1823, left the Missionary Society and went with his son Basil to Chile. In 1826, he came back to Australia and for his good work as a missionary, received from the New South Wales government a grant of 1,280 acres at Uladula, on the south coast. There he entered the timber trade and became owner and master of a small vessel used in the business. About 1832, this vessel was wrecked near Sydney and all on board, including the owner, were drowned. Of Basil Kendall's early career, little is known. While in South America he saw service under Lord Cochrane, the famous 10th Earl of Dundonald, who, after five brilliant years in the Chilean service, was between 1823 and 1825 fighting on behalf of Brazil. Basil returns to Australia, but disappears from view until 1840. One day in that year, he met a Miss Melinda McNally, and next day they were married. Soon after, they settled on the Uladula Grant, farming land at Kermington, two miles from the little town of Milton. There, in a primitive cottage Basil had built, twin sons, Basil Edward and Henry, 
were born on 18th April, 1841. Five years later, the family moved to the Clarence River District and settled near Aurora. Basil Kendall had practically lost one lung before his marriage, and failing health made it exceedingly difficult for him to support his family, to which by this time three daughters had been added. On the Aurora, he grew steadily weaker and died somewhere about 1851. Basil Kendall was well educated and had done what he could to educate his children. After his death, the family was scattered and the two boys were sent to a relative on the south coast. The scenery of this district made a profound impression upon Henry and is often referred to in his early poems. In 1855, his uncle Joseph took him as cabin boy in his brig, the Plumstead, for a two-year cruise in the Pacific, during which they touched at many of the islands and voyaged as far north as Yokohama. The beauty of the scenes he visited lived in the boy's memory, but the rigors of ship life were so severe that in after years he looked back on the voyage with horror. Henry Kendall returned to Sydney in March 1857, and at once obtained employment in the city and set about making a home for his mother and sisters. Mrs. Kendall, granddaughter of Leonard McNally, a Dublin notable of his day, was a clever, handsome woman with a strong constitution and a volatile temperament. Henry was always devoted to her and considered that from her he inherited whatever talent he possessed. She helped him in his education and encouraged him to write verse. The first verses of his known to have been printed were Oh Tell Me, Ye Breezes, signed H. Kendall, which appeared in the Australian Home Companion and Band of Hope Journal in 1859. A number of other poems by Kendall appeared in the same magazine during 1860 and 1861. But in a letter written years afterwards to Mr. Sheridan Moore, Kendall says, My first essay in writing was sent to the Southern Cross at the same time you were sub-editor. You, of course, lit your pipe with it. It was on the subject of the Dunbar. After a few more attempts in prose and verse, attempts only remarkable for their being clever imitations, I hit upon the right vein and wrote the Curlew Song. Then followed the crude but sometimes happy verses which made up my first volume. The verses on the wreck of the Dunbar, written at the age of sixteen, were eventually printed in The Empire in 1860 as the merchant ship. Henry Parks, the editor of that newspaper, had already welcomed some of the boy's poems, and in The Empire of the 8th December 1859 had noticed as just published a song, Silent Tears, the words of which were written by a young native poet, Mr. H. Kendall, N.A.P. These initials, which puzzled Parks, as well they might, meant no more than Native Australian Poet. Kendall also sent some poems to the Sydney Morning Herald. There, they attracted the attention of Henry Halloran, a civil servant and a voluminous amateur writer, who sought out the poet and tried to help him. 
Kendall's mother brought him to Mr. Sheridan Moore, who had some reputation as a literary critic. He was greatly interested in the poems and promised to try to raise money for their publication. Subscriptions were invited by advertisement in January 1861, but came in so slowly that after a year's delay, Kendall almost despaired of publication. Meanwhile, Moore had introduced Kendall to James Lionel Michael, through whom he came to know Nicole D. Stenhouse, Dr. Woolley, and others of the small group of literary men in Sydney. Michael, a London solicitor, had been a friend of some of the pre-Raphaelite groups of artists, and was much more interested in literature than in law when the lure of gold brought him to Australia in 1853. Himself a well-read man and a writer of very fair verse, he recognized the decided promise of Kendall's work and gave him a place in his office. In spite of their disparity in years, they became friends, and Kendall undoubtedly derived great benefit from Michael's influence and from the use of his library. When in 1861 Michael left Sydney for Grafton, Kendall either accompanied him or joined him soon afterwards. He did not, however, stay long at Grafton. He found employment at Dungog on the Williams River. Afterwards, went to Scone, where he worked for a month or two, and then made his way back to Sydney. Restive over the long delay in publication, and anxious to get a critical estimate of his work, Kendall, in January 1862, made copies of some pieces and sent them to the Cornhill magazine with a letter pleading for special consideration on account of the author's youth and the indifference of Australians to anything produced in their own country. A reduced facsimile of this interesting letter is printed here. In this e-text, the letter has been transcribed and is included at the end of this section. Thackeray was editor of Cornhill up to April 1862, but may not have seen this pathetic appeal from the other side of the world. At any rate, no notice of it was taken by Cornhill, and in July of the same year, Kendall sent a similar letter with copies of his verses to the Athenaeum. The editor printed the letter and some of the poems with very kindly comments in the issue of 27th September, 1862. In October, 1862, before this powerful encouragement reached the young writer, Poems and Songs was published in Sydney by Mr. J. R. Clark. The Empire published a favorable review. Further notice of his work appeared in the Athenaeum during the next four years, and in 1866 it was generously praised by Mr. G. B. Barton in his Poets and Prose Writers of New South Wales. Meanwhile, in August 1863, Kendall was, through Park's influence, appointed to a clerkship in the Surveyor General's Department at £150 a year, and three years later was transferred to the Colonial Secretary's Office at £200 a year. During this period, he read extensively and wrote much verse. By 1867, he had so far overcome his natural shyness that he undertook to deliver a series of lectures at the Sydney School of Arts. One of these, on love, courtship, and marriage, precipitated him into experience of all three, for he walked home after the lecture with Miss Charlotte Rudder, 
daughter of a government medical officer, straightway fell in love, and after a brief courtship, they were married in the following year. The year 1868 was a memorable one for Kendall in other ways. In April, James Lionel Michael was found dead in the Clarence River, and in June, Charles Harper died at Aroma. Kendall had a great admiration for Harper's poems and wrote to him in the spirit of a disciple. They corresponded for some years, but did not meet until a few months before the elder poet's death. Kendall describes Harper as then a noble ruin, scorched and wasted by the fire of sorrow. In 1868, also, a prize was offered in Melbourne for the best Australian poem, the judge being Richard Hengist Horne, author of Orion. Kendall sent in three poems and Horne awarded the prize to A Death in the Bush. In an article printed in Melbourne and Sydney newspapers, he declared that the author was a true poet, and that had there been three prizes, the second and third would have gone to Kendall's other poems, The Glen of Arawata and Dungog. The result of winning this prize was that Kendall decided to abandon routine work and try to earn his living as a writer. He resigned his position in the Colonial Secretary's office on the 31st March, 1869, and shortly afterwards left for Melbourne, where his wife and daughter soon joined him. Melbourne was then a center of greater literary activity than Sydney. Neither then, however, nor for a long time to come, was any number of people in Australia sufficiently interested in local literature, apart from journalism, to warrant the most gifted writer in depending upon his pen for support. Still, Kendall managed to persuade Mr. George Robertson, the principal Australian bookseller of those days, to undertake the risk of his second book of poems, Leaves from Australian Forests, which was published towards the end of 1869. But though the volume showed a great advance in quality upon its predecessor, it was a commercial failure, and the publisher lost £90 over it. In Melbourne, Kendall wrote prose, as well as satirical and serious verse, for most of the papers. The payment was small. In fact, only a few newspapers then paid anything for verse. He made a little money by writing the words for a cantanta, Euterpe, sung at the opening of the Melbourne Town Hall in 1870. At the office of the Colonial Monthly, edited by Marcus Clark, he met the best of the Melbourne literati, and though his reserved manner did not encourage intimacy, one of them, George Gordon McRae, became a close and true friend. Lindsay Gordon, too, admired Kendall's poems, and learned to respect a man whose disposition was in some ways like his own. Bush Ballads and Galloping Rhymes appeared in June 1870, and Kendall received an advance copy and wrote a laudatory review for the Australasia. He and Gordon spent some hours on the day of publication, discussing the book and poetry in general. Both were depressed by the apparent futility of literary effort in Australia, where nearly everyone was making haste to be rich. Next morning, Gordon shot himself, tired of life at 37.
Kendall knew how Harper's last long illness had been saddened by the knowledge that the public was utterly indifferent to his poems. He had seen the wreck of the once brilliant Dennehy. And now, the noble-hearted Gordon had given up the struggle. To these depressing influences, and the hardships occasioned by a meager and uncertain income, was added a new grief, the loss of his firstborn, Erolun whose memory he enshrined years afterwards in a poem of pathetic tenderness. He returned to Sydney early in 1871, broken in health and spirit. The next two years were a time of tribulation, during which, as he said later on, he passed into the shadow and emerged only through the devotion of his wife and the help of the brothers Fagan, timber merchants of Brisbane Water. Kendall was Fagan's guest at Narara Creek near Gosford, and afterwards filled a clerical position in the business which one of the brothers established at Camden Haven. There he spent seven tranquil years with his wife and family, and wrote the best of his poems. In some of these, he said all that need be said against himself, for he was always frankly critical of his conduct and work. In his later years, Kendall tasted some of the sweets of success. He wrote the words of the opening cantanta sung at the Sydney International Exhibition in 1879, and won a prize of £100 offered by the Sydney Morning Herald for a poem on the exhibition. His third collection, Songs from the Mountains, was published at Sydney in 1880 and realized a substantial profit. In 1881, Sir Henry Parks made a position for him, an inspectorship of state forests at £500 a year. Kendall's experience in the timber business well fitted him for this, though his health was not equal to the exposure attendant on the work. He moved to Cundotown on the Manning River before receiving the appointment, and from that center rode out on long tours of inspection. During one of these, he caught a chill. His lungs were affected, and rapid consumption followed. He went to Sydney for treatment and was joined by his wife at Mr. Fagan's house in Redfern, where he died in her arms on the 1st August, 1882. He was buried at Waverley, overlooking the sea. Kendall, it should be remembered, did not prepare a collected edition of his poems, and it will be noticed that in the present volume, some lines and passages appear more than once. The student and lover of Kendall will be interested to see how these lines and passages were taken from his own previous work, and turned to better account in later poems, and to note the gradual improvement of his style. In his last book, Songs from the Mountains, there are fewer echoes, the touch is surer, and the imaginative level at his highest. The shining wonder is that under the conditions of Australian life between 1860 and 1880, he should have written so much that is so good. As our first sweet singer of native wood notes wild, Kendo has an enduring place in regard of all Australians, and his best work is known and admired wherever English poetry is read. Bertrand Stevens this is the transcription of the letter previously mentioned. Newtown, Sydney, 
New South Wales, January twenty first, eighteen sixty two. To the editor of the Cornhill Magazine, Sir, will you oblige me by reading this letter and the accompanying verses? Remember that they will have travelled sixteen thousand miles, and on that account will be surely worth a few moments of your time. I think that there is merit in the verses, and have sent them to you, hoping that you yourself will be of the same opinion. If one can be selected, one up to the standard of the Cornhill magazine, insert it, and you will be helping me practically. I do not hint of pecuniary remuneration, however. For your recognition would be sufficient reward. Let me say a few words about myself. I was born in this colony and am now in the nineteenth year of my age. My education has been neglected; hence, you will very likely find that some of these effusions are immature. At present, the most of my time is occupied at an attorney's office, but I do not earn enough there to cover expenses. Considering that I have to support my mother and three sisters, I want to rise. And if my poems are anywhere near the mark, you can assist me by noticing them. They recognize me in this country as the first Australian poet. If the men who load me with their fulsome, foolish praises really believed that I have talent, crossed out, in my talents, and cared a whit about fostering a native literature. They would give me a good situation, and I should not have to appeal to you. If one of the poems is found to be good enough, and you publish it, someone here will then surely do the rest. On the other hand, if nothing can be gleaned from them, let the effusions and their author be forgotten, hoping that you will not forget to read the verses. I remain yours respectfully, H. Kendall. End of bibliographic note. Recording by Sylvester Lan, Anaheim, California.